0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. My name is Jeff Grohman. I'll be hosting today and with me is Chris Short uh, with the Red Hat OpenShift team. Chris do you want to go ahead and maybe just uh, give us a quick intro into what you're doing these days?
1: Sure. Uh, right now, I'm a principal technical marketing manager uh, on the Red Hat OpenShift team, which essentially means I, I take the stuff from engineering and try to make it work. But I have an even more unique role than that. And, and instead of building demos and workshops on a regular basis, like a lot of my other teammates, I run uh, OpenShift TV, which is our live streaming efforts that have started up as a result of COVID. So... Yes, coming from a, a DevOps background into marketing and then now like a live streaming producer, like it's been a wild couple of years for me, <laughs> you know, career-wise, right, Like as far as just trajectory changes and
2: everything. So it, it's gonna be an interesting show, I feel like. Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you wanna end up and how to get the results you want, you can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code.
0: Interesting. Well, why don't we start by maybe doing, um, you know, uh, you know, maybe talking a little bit about OpenShift just for the folks who may not know that much about it, and then maybe we can talk a little bit about like what you're doing in that live uh, streaming media and sure. you know what that's about. Because I'm curious to hear more about that.
1: Absolutely. So OpenShift is Red Hat's Kubernetes distribution, for lack of a better term. We've taken Kubernetes, we have piled all the things you would need to run Kubernetes as an enterprise, essentially, into it. So things like logging, auditing, metering, chargeback, all that fun stuff. Is part of OpenShift kind of out of the box. So you don't have to worry about, you know, which which logging platform am I using for my clusters, which, you know, which kind of auditing tools, what this, that, and the other, right? Like there's already pre baked solutions already in the platform. We have an opinion, but we also have what we call Operator Hub. Uh, and you can go there and use operatorhub.io and you can get any of those operators for your Kubernetes clusters up and running if you so choose. If uh, folks want to use something different in their cluster, they can then pull from that hub and you know have you know instead of an L an F stack you know elastic stash or elasticsearch uh, fluent D and Cabana they can have you know cystic or whatever else they want you know log DNA or something like that and I apologize for the dog um, she's being annoying but that's what she does but she's a great dog so I can't complain yeah so uh, that's that's basically what openshift is in a nutshell and it's run by some of the the largest companies in the world. Uh, my bank, my cell phone provider, right? Like they're all <laughs> running OpenShift. So it's it's kind of cool to be like part of that team that is is helping drive like, like the mobile app on my phone, right? Like. That is running on the infrastructure, you know. That's that right. that I, I you know, I help contribute to you know Kubernetes as an open source contributor and then OpenShift as day job, right? So yeah.
0: Cool. So I'm curious, you know. So so if I'm looking at deploying Kubernetes or, you know, let's say I already am maybe I'm looking for you know migration path or something like that. So why would I choose? This is sort of now I'm gonna sort of getting into marketing. You know, okay. Putting I'm putting on my toes online. here. All right, <laughs> but yeah. So I'm curious. So, so you know, what would propel me to to move to OpenShift over, you know, running like, um, you know, running it in AWS or over, you know, Google Cloud or something like that instead.
1: Sure. Right. Like, I I think the biggest differentiator for me is right. Like, you're not in the the Kubernetes business. Right. Like, you're in the the whatever business, the widget business, the insurance business, the banking business, right. the the right. you know the software business even. Right. Like, you're not in the platform business. Um. And what OpenShift reels out for you is the entire platform, one you know one product, one install method, one you know one single pane of glass where you can run your containers, orchestrate them you know, publish them, you know, expose them to the web, uh, whatever you need to do, as well as now with OpenShift virtualization, you can run VMs inside the, the container platform now, which is, that's based on an OpenShift or open source project called kubevert, which OpenShift used to call uh, container native virtualization, but now it's just OpenShift virtualization because product names are a thing (laughs) you know so yeah it's 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 one of those things where that differentiator i feel like right like we have a lot of customers that have an install on aws right like because they don't necessarily want to glue together all the aws services that makes up a full platform for them right and aws makes that very easy and help and they help you do that but even then there's you know like their OS, it's it's their thing and like, does it work together and is it all interchangeable and does it work right? They don't necessarily provide the guarantees that we do around uh, compatibility and, you know, forward, backward support, that kind of thing. We're also <clears throat> one of the few like government approved Kubernetes distributions, right? So a lot of the, the FIPS, NIST, those kinds of standards are kind of, we can meet those out of the box where some of the other vendors have a problem with that. So yeah, I mean to me, right, like I don't I don't build clusters for a living either, right? Like I teach people how to use them. I teach people like, you know, how to do something with a Kubernetes cluster, with an OpenShift cluster, right? Like or how to contribute to Kubernetes, and, you know, on the upstream side. You know, I push button and get cluster, and that's what I want most people to get into the habit of because building these bespoke clusters with banding string and duct tape and bubble gum is going to get people in a lot of trouble. And it's funny that KubeCon is this week And I have talked to several people that are in that kind of situation where they're like, I've got this one provider that's been contributed to by three people. That's like the crux of my infrastructure right now. And it's like, there's an XKCD comic that came out that was very much digital infrastructure. And I had this one little block at the very bottom of somebody's stack where it's like somebody's been tirelessly working on this since 2003, right? Like a lot of people have infrastructure like that. And that to me, is a nightmare waiting to happen, right? Like if I lost my production Kubernetes cluster just because of a mistake I made, I would feel awful. And that has right. happened to lots of people, right? So we try to build some safety nets in with, you know, a concept we called operators that was, you know, developed by CoreOS, which we acquired a few years ago. And those are designed to kind of take the hands off the maintenance of some of these functions, right? Like our entire upgrade process is all operator-based. So what happens is the cluster goes through an entire upgrade cycle, but because it's operators and it can move workloads around, you never notice a downtime if your applications are designed correctly, right? So that, I think, and the fact that we're, I think, the closest distro to like upstream right now, and we intend to get closer and closer as the roadmap goes, that I think is the big differentiators for us.
0: So tell us... um a bit more about what you're doing with OpenShift tv and uh you know what so yes <laughs> what role that plays
1: yeah so it's interesting my boss and one of my teammates were having a one-on-one and my teammate was like hang on i gotta keep the kids off of twitch and you know they're live streaming their Fortnite or whatever game of du jour or, you know whatever and like all of a sudden this light bulb came on between the two of them wait we should do some live streaming and they are like, well, wait, who's done live streaming on our team before. And they immediately look at me because as you see back here, there's another computer back there that I actually use to stream some, like I'm the third string uh, streaming host for the Kubernetes community. So (laughs) if they need somebody to stream meetings and stuff, they'll, they'll tap me on the shoulder. And that's, Typically pretty simple streaming, like just a YouTube, OpenShift TV has taken on its own life form, right? Like we started off on Twitch and within 20 episodes, 20 shows, essentially, of just showing people how to do stuff on OpenShift or showing people how to do things with containers in general, uh, we realized that this was going to be a big deal and we expanded to broadcasting to not just Twitch, but also YouTube and Facebook Live. That has been just this insane experience where now you've got a 40,000 person potential following where now they can just tap into any expert that comes on the show that day, And it comes on the air that day. And it's, it's, it's pretty wild that we have, you know, already in three months, we have over 1600 followers. Uh, Yeah, 108 days, we've done 160 some hours of broadcasting, right? Like, we've, we've, we've put the effort in to get the content to the people where they are, because We're not going to events, we're not going to customer sites, we're not holding workshops, we're not doing all the, you know, hands on stuff that we would do with our customers normally because of the situation that we're in. So let's do the next best thing. And let's make ourselves accessible at any point in time, either live, join us, you know, in advance, you know, we have a calendar, you know. Go to red.ht slash stream cal, all one word, and you can subscribe to that calendar. And if you see a show that you need, you know, help with, you feel like, oh, there's a virtualization show coming up. I need help with that. Boom. You can jump on that show, ask your questions. You'll have the expert right there. Sometimes it's the product manager, sometimes it's the engineer that's actually working on the product itself, uh, or the the function, the feature, right? Like, so yeah, we're very much putting the 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 experts in front of live audiences as opposed to making people register for an event or a webinar. Everything's virtual now. Yeah. Let's take it to the next level. Let's just put it out there and we'll worry about the return later, right? <laughs> let's not let's not try to get the lead gen at the first step. Yeah. Let's try and make sure that we bring in quality leads, right? Not just any leads. Right. So that's kind of the the gist there, right? Like we want people that are interested. We want people that are engaged to then convert into customers, right? Or extend their their current you know footprint of red hat products and that's what openshift is designed or openshift.tv is partially designed to do is to help educate people so that they can build more faster on top of OpenShift or other Red Hat products as we expand the the TV channel. Uh, we've recently added DevNation, Burr Sutter, and his crew to the ch- channel lineup. We have OpenShift Commons, which is uh, our uh, upstream version, uh, essentially, of CNCF, right? <laughs> we have uh, OKD, which is our upstream version of OpenShift that just... You know 4.5, version 4.5 of that just came out. So now you have this you have OpenShift, the the full blown, you know, supported version. Now you have OKD 4.5, the full blown open source upstream version. We just had a huge like uh, install a thon, marathon kind of thing on day zero of KubeCon this week where they spent all day. <laughs> like we had to cut over to another show and they just kept going, installing on every kind of infrastructure that Diane uh, could bring on somebody to help them with. And we had All kinds of folks like, I mean, AWS, Google Cloud, whatever, you know, like that stream is going to have so many bits and pieces of how to install, you know, the latest version of OKD on infrastructure X, Y, Z. It's quite amazing like that you can do that nowadays, right? You want to hold an all day event? No problem. Get it on my calendar. Right. Right. You know, I mean, it's, that's all it takes now. And like, we bring the audience and we handle the Q&A and we just make sure that the, you know, we call them guests. We bring them on our show. We call them guests. You know, we have guests, hosts, producers. I consider myself a producer. Uh, A guest would be somebody that's not regularly on the air with us. A host is someone that actually has their own show kind of thing. So it's, turn into its own real like TV channel. So wow. that's why we're calling it OpenShift TV. It has regular programming and we're trying to add more every day.
0: Wow. And, and uh, I mean, it sounds like from what you're saying, you're putting content out there every day. So is it like, I mean, is it literally running for hours each day or what you know what
1: does that so like this week's an odd week right like so it's kubecon week you know we're not trying to compete with the same eyeballs so our regular our regularly scheduled shows are running um and then we had that day zero marathon that i mentioned but you know our like ad hoc shows that are like special sessions kind of deal where it's like oh get continued or you know that kind of thing where uh we'll bring in an expert on a certain topic just kind of ad hoc that doesn't really fit like any particular show top you know space right right now those are kind of cleared out so we're doing i think on average it's like seven to nine hours a week right so so every day we're doing something but sometimes we're doing a lot more right so it's it's pretty uh interesting to to kind of see it like To kind of watch it grow out of nothing, you know, and this, this is, this is the, the, the like bleeding edge of like the marketing sword, I guess right now too, right? Because people are trying to figure out how to do events, how to do anything live. And it's just really difficult, but we've figured out the right formula of hardware, software, and, and content to get where we are and we're very happy with it and we're you know we look at you know Microsoft and AWS and those folks and we're like okay we want to be like them we want thousands of followers we want you know constantly you know highly quality produced content that's also live right like so we're trying to figure out how to step up our game every day as well as add that new content so yeah it's 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 like it's like you know upgrading the air or you know fixing the airplane as it's flying kind of thing and that's we're running it kind of as a startup off to the side kind of deal and it's it's been going well i mean i'm i'm pretty thrilled with it to be honest with you so
0: and are you getting good metrics on in terms of um you know, what people seem to be most interested in, like what topics or what, so, you know, yeah, I, or hosts right or, now. I yeah. mean,
1: so yeah, like people want to see the experts, right? Like they want to see the Scott McCarty's, the Dan Walsh's, the the Burr Sutters, you know, they want to see the engineers that are actually working on this stuff on a regular basis, yeah. right? They want to talk to folks about GitOps. Like it's a super hot topic right now, as is operators, right? When um, And Kubernetes 116, when CRDs went, uh, GA, you know, operators essentially went GA. So now you have this, you know, operator framework that's been donated to CNCF, thankfully. After, you know, months of folks trying to get it donated, it's finally in the the CNCF uh, landscape, thankfully. And, you know, now folks can build operators with a framework that, you know, the community can work on and enhance. And we're working with other teams that are in the same space like UBuilder and some other folks to to enhance the experience for folks so that they can build code or even Ansible playbooks that can manage the lifecycle of their applications, right? Like as they're in Kubernetes. So the idea is to get some things to where they're like fully automated, right? Like they'll lifecycle themselves, they'll back up themselves, (laughs) upgrade themselves. And that's what operators goals are designed to do is to kind of take that operational knowledge, bake it into, you know, a Kubernetes native artifact, to where you can just deploy that and it'll, it'll run your applications and infrastructure for you as part of the entire package, and that's why we build all of OpenShift with them because they're you can do all the full lifecycle management and everything and like what we call autopilot, you know, level five capability you know, type operators right. where that it completely maintains itself, right? Oh, a new upgrade's available. Okay, fine. If you said automatic upgrade, I'm going to upgrade. If you said keep it this version, you know this version of, you know, four or five, fine. I'm going to upgrade the latest version of four or five or whatever it is. I'm going to back up myself nightly. I'm going to, you know, Oh, look, there's a vulnerability. I'm going to patch that kind of thing. Right. Like these operators is designed to do those kinds of things in most cases. Yeah.
0: What do you find just to sort of maybe take a little bit of a, a, you know, a tangent here, but, but since you've really been talking a lot about the operators, what's the biggest, I guess, speed bumper or hurdle that uh, you see customers hitting that, prevent them from deploying those operators or or implementing them
1: it's a lot of just one of two things it's either the concept right like containers operators like the conceptualizing that is often like a hurdle right so wait i can write code that does backups for me yes and like you don't have to worry about that anymore right like so there's the concept of it all which containers are relatively you know i mean containers in general are old school but you know, the containers that of today are still right. relatively new technology, right? Yeah. So yeah. orchestrating it is, you know, that's why we have Kubernetes. Running it at an enterprise level is, that's why we have OpenShift, right? So the that's like hurdle number one is getting that container, getting that cloud native knowledge baked into, you know, your organization. The next hurdle is often cultural. Right. And that's kind of the DevOps side of things, which is yeah. why I've made this shift is because I've realized that I could probably make a bigger impact as a marketing person in the DevOps world <laughs> than I can as a DevOps engineer or manager kind of yeah. thing. Right. Like, so yeah. whatever you want to call that nowadays. Um so, yeah, like coming in, like, I think DevOps has a lot to teach marketing about, you know, like workflows and, you know, like using data to, you know, measure results and everything else. And, and, and marketing has a lot to teach DevOps because a lot of DevOps engineers don't understand, like, when the infrastructure goes down, what does that actually mean? How much is that actually costing the business? Right. Right. Like that's like the metric that I want to know. Right. I used to work at a newspaper company. We knew to the minute how much it cost us when a site was down. Any one of our sites, we knew to the minute. Right. Like it's costing us X amount of money the longest, the longer this site is down. Right. So those are metrics that like folks don't even consider now and it's like what happened right like when did the business get so disconnected from the operations and you know maintenance of the 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 infrastructure right like that's often a problem right like so the, the misalignment I guess of like priorities maybe is usually the next hurdle right like yes we want to move fast But we have this legacy project or we have this restriction or we have this regulatory thing we got to get over, you know, some other problem underlying, you know, their infrastructure that prevents them from doing it. Right. Like a storage issue or, you know, something like that that could prevent people from navigating forward sometimes, too. That's an issue. Right. So, yeah, that's why I'm here. I'm here to like enlighten people into the world of DevOps, (laughs) basically,
2: but do it in a Kubernetes native way. A couple of years ago, I put out a survey asking people what topics they wanted us to cover on devchat.tv. And I got two overwhelming responses. One was from the JavaScript community. They wanted a React show. And the other one was from the Ruby community, and they wanted an Elixir show. So we started both. The React show, though, is React Roundup. And every week, we bring in people from the React community, and we have conversations with them about React, about the community, about open source, about what goes into React, how to build React apps. And what's going on and changing in the React community? So, if you're looking to keep current on the current React ecosystem and what's going on in React, you definitely need to be checking out React Roundup. You can find it at reactroundup.com.
0: You know, you, you remind me of something. Uh, I mean, I, I I love those. I mean, I, I think the hurdles you were just describing could be applied to so many different areas. I mean, I I have a you know my background and, and my you know, day-to-day work is really focused on security. And I see that all the time. That's those same sort of hurdles of being disconnected from the yeah. business and, and, you know, and, and just sort of being in your own silo. Mm-hmm. But then also, I like, you know, when you talk about the technology and then the idea of, you know, deploying it and implementing it, but you have that sort of disconnect of, okay, where do I, you know, how does that plug into what we've been doing? And and it, it just, one thing it reminds me of is, I was re- uh, recently listening to, I don't know if you've read The Goal or listened to, there's an audiobook of Beyond The Goal by Dr. Goldrat. But oh. what he talks mm-hmm. about is, so he, you know, this is sort of um, a lot I mean, of-
1: I didn't know there was, I'm sorry, I didn't know there was an audio book. My apologies.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, I, I know, and, and it's funny, you know, I think some people, um, especially in the DevOps world, really, you know, love the, um, have read The Goal and, you know, that's mm-hmm. where-
1: yeah, the I mean, this project
0: is a takeoff of it and all that. Exactly, but anyway, yeah. I, unfortunately, I think there's still people who, who, have, who haven't heard of it or, or what have you. But yeah, there's an audio book of Beyond the Goal. And it and it sort of takes mm-hmm. you sort of really sort of fills in a lot of the gaps. And one of the things that I thought was so interesting that, that uh, Dr. Goldrat talks about in there is that he talks about, you know, all the way back in time when he was working with manufacturing plants, and he said, mm-hmm. you know, the, the old MRP systems that they would implement he said the biggest problem with you know with them is that you'd implement this new technology and he could give you examples of mrp erps and other systems too where you'd implement them but if you didn't do one thing you would never the business as a whole would never, never. gain the efficiencies yeah. Yeah. that was promised and so you'd actually don't take any steps forward you know even though you just invested millions of dollars in this and the mm-hmm. one piece that he talks about is the fact that once you have something in place that has limitations you sort of create these processes for how do I deal with those limitations? And those become part of the culture. And when you implement a new system or new technology, unless you undo those initial processes, they stay in place and mm-hmm. you never can get beyond those. Those become your own limiting factors. So I'm curious, long story short, but I'm I'm curious and you know, to ask you sort of that further question of do you see that when you know when you're working with customers who are trying to implement kubernetes trying to implement um OpenShift, are they stuck with these sort of old processes old limitations that are based on how they were working around their old legacy systems that are still sort of become that 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 hurdle for them to to move forward today
1: so uh, I, I will say that they're uh, like across the entire customer base there's a it's a mixed bag right so we have some of those bleeding edge people that are like we're throwing out legacy, you know, we can start a new, we're going to, you know, all the legacy functionality, we're going to, you know, if we have a mainframe, we're going to figure out only what that mainframe needs to do and then put APIs up in front of it. And then, you know, we're running OpenShift and off we go, right? Like we have customers like that and they're very, very smart and they know what they're doing. And, but then we have some of those customers that do have like that, that cultural, you know, Boat Anchor, for lack of a better term, that that does slow either adoption of, you know, the tooling for Kubernetes or, like, the adoption of containers in general, right? Like, because it's not just Kubernetes, right? Like, there's a whole ecosystem of tools that you kind of have to bring on board to really take full advantage of cloud native infrastructure, right? So, you know, the the CNCF has what they call their 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 cloud trail map, which, you know, it's like 10 things that you have to have, like orchestration, CI/CD, monitoring, logging, those kinds of things, right? And it's essentially a checklist, right? But then, you know, the idea is like you go to the CNCF landscape and there's tools for each one of those 10 things that are available that are like, you know, either, you know, graduated the CNCF process or they're in the sandbox, you know, kind of getting worked on by various, you know, project maintainers and so forth. So, you know, the folks that, don't understand that they need to take that trail map seriously, those are the ones that typically have the problems, right? Where they're missing that piece, right? Like, well, if we had a better CD tool, we would take full advantage of this now, right? Or if we had better monitoring, we would know what this problem was, right? Or if we had, you know, it's like always missing something. And nine times out of 10, I can go to a customer site and be like, here's your problem. And it'll be like, uh, well... uh, yeah, you need to do this differently. And th- then it's like, well, we can't because now we find the limitations. Okay, well, we can't, but you're saying you want to change. <laughs> you know? So now we got to work within this framework of why can't we? And, right. and sometimes like legal teams get involved and it's like, okay, so let's re this question to the legal team now, right? <laughs> let's get a new answer because when did you get this answer? Eight years ago, okay. You know, and a lot of people are like, can we even do cloud? Like there's still some, you know, level of resistance to just like full blown go all, all out cloud. And that's why we're seeing these, right. these hybrid tools or I think, I can't remember what Gartner referred to them as, but some yeah. new phrase for these, these like extensions of the cloud on-premise kind of thing. And, yep. You know, we, we, we kind of saw that on the, the, the writing on the wall a long time ago when we built, you know, OpenShift 3 and 4, that this was going to be a hybrid landscape. Right. Like we yeah. knew that people are going to have clouds and data centers still and everything else. And right. You know, things are going to become more connected. So, yeah, we, we had all that in mind as we built OpenShift and we see that the customers that do embrace kind of that that next gen way of thinking right, where, you know, it's, you know, this thing does this one purpose, this one function very well, right, I like, think or even cloud native functions, right, like for that matter, right, there's this piece of code that is in a container that does this one thing, and this container t- talks to that container, and this group, and that group, and, you know, it is just goes down the chain, and all of a sudden, boom, you have a finished application, but it's all loosely coupled. Right. Like that's the biggest thing is you can take out one piece and upgrade it and it won't be a big deal. Right, (laughs) Like you'll have a blip or maybe, you know, we'll see a a brief period of traffic rolling off and on something. Uh, But, you know, you're getting to more seamless and and upgrades and more seamless uh, service, you know, being provided to folks nowadays. Right. Like remember when Twitter was constant fail whale. I'm not saying they're an OpenShift customer or anything, but like you know, right. times have evolved. They adopted the right things to make their infrastructure work for them the right way. Right. And, and I'm not saying that Twitter's some like you know, you know, infrastructure god or anything, right? Like I'm sure their infrastructure is very complex. And I'm sure there's great reasons why, and, and you know, they they have an amazing tool, right? That I at least I think it is um, to just you know get information from, and they're doing an amazing job of it, but. It used to be the example of services that weren't good right right now they're an example of services that are like oh my gosh Twitter's down you know <laughs> or like right. oh my gosh s3's down right like yeah. you don't see that very much anymore either right like you know it used to be a regular thing that you would lose us East one or something but right. nowadays it's you know it's becoming less frequent for sure
0: just to, you know just again'm I'm, I'm a security guy at heart um, always will be but so I'm curious you know from the openshift standpoint, when you, you know, working with customers, what's the biggest request or ask or or even concern that you get from customers that are that's security related, you know,
1: feature wise or whatever? This might surprise you. I want to run this in a disconnected environment. <laughs> no no kidding, right? Yeah. Like people yeah. wanna run stuff in a disconnected environment because they're manufacturers or they're banks right. or they're, you know, a government employee or whatever. So yeah, like our, our biggest ask is can you make operator hub? work disconnected? Can you make getting these images for upgrades easier, right? Like, can you make Istio work in a disconnected, FIPS-compliant environment, right? Like, there's, that's usually the number one ask that I've seen from the OpenShift TV world is, how do I get this working in a disconnected environment, right? Like, I want to make sure that this is not even on the internet. Right. Like, that's
0: interesting. That,
1: I think, is the most interesting question that I get A lot of people ask about GitOps in general and like how to like secure the pipeline, right? Like, you know, where can you use what tools, you know, like we're trying to use this to do static analysis and this and this and like how to glue those together. Like that's obviously, you know, a a large number of questions, but that disconnected environment question is always present. Always. which is yeah, I, awesome. <clears throat> and we're trying to solve that problem with every release. We try to get closer and closer to where more and more of the operators okay. that we're providing are able to work in that offline kind of mode, right? right. Like where they're not constantly connected to the internet.
0: It's interesting. I, I was working for a, a SaaS provider of a security application security tool several years ago, and we would get those questions. And it was, it was tough because on the one hand, you know, there's just all the technical hurdles of making that work in a disconnected environment. Hmm. But on the other hand, because we were a SaaS provider, we wanted all the instrumentation, all those metrics that were coming out from our customers so that we could learn from it. Right. And if you're disconnected, yeah. exactly, we're not, we're not getting that. And, and uh, you know, it was sort of like philosophically, that was just sort of this problem of, do we even want to go that direction? And then we did because we wanted to try and serve as customers, but I, I don't know if you guys see that. I'm, I'm not sure that that analogy or, or that, you know, that, that situation holds true for you, but that was a real challenge that we had in that, in that sort of situation.
1: So, I mean, we get, you know, very limited telemetry, but normally like we know about our customers because they're, paying us money and they're opening support cases, right? So we know about like the disconnected environments because, well, they opened a support case for something, right? Like that's how we find out sometimes that, oh, this is a disconnected environment versus just some, you know, regular OpenShift connected to the internet cluster kind of deal. So oftentimes that's, you know, how we learn about it or they tell us in advance that they're going to do a disconnected thing and, you know, we're we're ready to help support that. Mm -hmm. While you were speaking though, uh, I remember the second biggest request was how do I get the agents that run in my OS running on these, you know, OpenShift boxes. Well we bake the whole entire stack together, right? Like it's the OS all the way up to the, the right. cubelet, right? Like it's OpenShift. All of it. It's called, you know, Red Hat Core or Core OS, you know. <laughs> it's right. It's a big deal, right? Like, so the, the platform itself, OpenShift can actually upgrade the underneath operating system and it uses uh, immutable infrastructure, right? A, a mutable file system called RPMOS tree, which just completely, like, if you want to do an upgrade, it just literally layers itself on top and pulls the old layer out from underneath. Done right? And you never see it and you're not going to touch that. And if you SSH into that box, it's going to become tainted in Kubernetes, right? Yep. like <laughs> We encourage people not to touch their boxes. So if you want to get your agents, you know, like your logging agents, your typical stuff, either, right, like you have to figure out how to work with a vendor uh, to get that containerized and then yep. privileged to run on the yep. OpenShift cluster itself or with then the OpenShift nodes themselves and you have to actually say like, I need one per node, you need to have node affinity and all this other stuff set up. Uh, That is another big request, right? Like how do I get this agent running? And a lot of people have gotten the memo, right? Like the ISVs, the vendors out there, they're like, if we build an operator, we don't have to answer this question anymore for, for our customers, right? Like how do I containerize this? It's just there for them. So that, that's part of the appeal there.
0: Is there, a, I'm curious when you talk about the agents, are there uh, folks also saying, I want my security agent to be on there? As that well? is literally that's, the
1: number one thing, right? Like, right. yeah, I want my, it, you know, endpoint security tool right. or whatever it is, right? Like, and it's like, wait, you don't necessarily need that anymore. And, Let's, and let us explain why, right? <laughs> like,
0: Well, and, and I think that's really getting to that to that point I made from, from um, beyond the goal. But I think that's part of it is that, you know, there were limitations of running, you know, OSs. So we put security agents on them, and that's right. how we get around that limitation from a security yeah. standpoint. And now we're so 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 stuck in that mindset that when we move to Kubernetes, I have to take my limitation with me.
1: Right. And no, to, you don't. To your point, like no, you don't. Again, <laughs> you don't necessarily you have, have to, to take on. all your limitations with you. <laughs> right. <laughs> why? Exactly. Yeah. I mean. Yeah.
0: So the one thing, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious, and 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 we we can we'll leave it with this one. This this is be my last question on security, but I'm really curious about this. So when you talk about you know the OS as being this you know sort of you know
1: it's immutable layer, yeah,
0: immutable layer. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I think about things from like the incident response perspective, where if I'm an incident responder, I know I've had an incident. I want to be able to mm-hmm. go into the OS and pull back artifacts that will give me those, you know, those breadcrumbs yeah. to mm-hmm. to chase. But if I go to the team and, and I say, hey, something's pointing to the Kubernetes, um, you know, cluster, and they say, well, we just you know ran the upgrade or you know whatever it is, and so it's sort of been mm-hmm. you know replaced and cleaned out. I know lo- no longer have the those forensic artifacts and. I, I could be totally wrong here. I have not personally been involved in an incident that was, you know, involved a sure. Kubernetes cluster. But I wonder, is that a possibility? And if so, like, is that um, you know, is that a problem? So,
1: it, is it a possibility? Yes, but is it a problem? <laughs> no, because we re- recommend snapshotting those layers frequently. We recommend backing them up and mm. so on. Right, and like the, okay. the platform does. So you'd be able to pull those back. For you. Right, right, right. You would be way. able to say like, holy crap, we had this, you know, vulnerable layer. And we would know that, right? right. Like <laughs> we would know that first, most times, or it would be reported to our security team kind of thing. So the scenario you speak of, I mean, I don't. yes, is it possible? Is it likely? No, because here's the thing, like Kubernetes event logs, I don't know if you've ever seen them. Literally, if anything goes bump in the night, it gets lost. Right? Oh, okay, like, okay. Kubernetes event logs are just a streaming flow of just knowledge right. just coming out so of between, the system,
0: right? Between the snapshots, the logs, everything else, I'm going to be able to pull probably the... the you could the get whatever forensic data you needed. Yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, and that's very much a you know concern that I had, right? Like when you yeah. like, wait, the immutable OS. Wait, talk <laughs> to talk to me about this CoreOS, right? Right, like yeah. <laughs> like how does this work? But like you works, know, yeah. working with Tectonic, uh, the product that you know CoreOS had before uh, it was acquired by Red Hat. It had the same concept, just not like quite turned up. To the the, the Rel level, right? Like it had a very lightweight, and you know, Red Hat Core OS is also lighter weight because it is only what you need to run OpenShift, Kubernetes, and containers, and you know that whole that whole set of tooling. It's just that, and that's what you get in that Core OS part. And we're we're baking the security and stability of RHEL. You know, we're taking those exact same components, and you know, here's RHEL eight stripped down to Red Hat Core OS. You know exactly what you need in this immutable kind of layered format so that you know what if if you need to upgrade the os as part of your kubernetes upgrade that can happen right like it doesn't right. have to be a two-part process which you have to figure out the chicken and the egg part right like it's just a cycle right like it's just a normal part of our operations at this point
0: well i think that's uh that gets us pretty close to the uh, the end of, you know, um, out of time. But uh, is there anything, I just want to give you the, the, you know, maybe a couple of moments to give us anything else that we haven't had a chance to cover or, you know, any last points you'd want to make
1: Sure. Yeah. So, you know, Kubernetes is a wide open community, right? Like we're very welcoming of everyone. So if you're interested in contributing, please reach out to me on Twitter at Chris Short. Uh, you can email me C Short at Red Hat. You know, uh, I, I will help you get involved in the Kubernetes community if you want. I also have a newsletter called DevOpsish. If you want to subscribe to that, devopsish.com. Uh, you can go there. There's subscribe boxes everywhere. Hit that. You'll get a newsletter every week talking about, you know, the people, process, and tools that make up DevOps. And that's really what, in my opinion, DevOps is. is people, process, and tools working together towards an organizational goal. So that's how I frame the newsletter. And it comes out every week. It was on high for a little bit trying to get my footing around COVID and the strange times, and now it's back and mm-hmm. with a vengeance. So I'm very happy about that.
2: So, yeah. Cool. Are you freelancing or moonlighting? Or maybe you've thought about going out on your own. Every week, we have a group of developers at various stages of a freelancing journey on The Freelancer Show to talk about becoming better at freelancing. We also bring in experts to talk about marketing, SEO, and delivering high quality to clients. So if you're interested in going freelance or you are freelance, check it out at freelancershow.com.
0: Well, I appreciate uh, you being on the show with us, Chris. And uh, you know, one last thing that we always do every week is um, just talk about picks, just something that we're interested in, whether it's a... Hobby technology show uh book or anything else and uh I don't know if you've ha- if you had one al- you know short um, already
1: so uh, so with with all the streaming stuff that I do right like I get a lot of questions around them. what software do you use i use obs open source software right like uh what kind of camera what kind of everything else like if you go to cloud cloud platform streaming on github right like we have a recommendation for hardware list like all the stuff that you could get potentially right is there but now the question is right like oh my gosh nothing's available what do i do and like, we, have, <laughs> right. we have found some alternatives surprisingly and we've we've published it in a pdf format so that people can download it and share it and everything so you know, there's there's are suitable alternatives for everything that I'm using right now for live streaming, lights, camera, you know, everything else. Like I've actually just where to go. I'm upgrading my camera this week, right? I just bought an old Sony A6000 off of eBay, right? So like the is the limit you can spend a little or as much money as you right. want but you can get a quality setup like this i mean obviously this mic is expensive as hell minus this mic <laughs> this only cost a couple hundred bucks right like the lights the camera everything else like the camera was you know 90 the lights were like with the stands and everything were like 100 total <laughs> You know, right. so you can get a great setup for really cheap like, this mic arm is only, like, 30 bucks, right? Like, yeah. I don't spend a lot of money on it. If I break it, I break it. And I have <laughs> broken it before. So, <laughs> you know, I just keep, you know, some extra components around just in case. I have a boom mic stand that I use because who knows what happens. But, uh, yeah. So, if you ever need equipment recommendations or whatever, go check out GitHub.com, uh, cloud platforms streaming.
0: Well, awesome. Well, I appreciate uh, you being on here. and.
1: Uh... No problem at all. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. Real fun so it wraps sometime. up another episode of Adventures in DevOps. Thank you so much for tuning in.
2: Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot to learn more.